0: Well, we're in uh, part five of our series in Colossians that we're looking at on Sunday mornings. It's uh, Colossians 2 that we're in this morning, which is on page 1183 of the Bibles in front of you. Colossians 2, we're reading from verse 6 to the end of verse 15, and it's entitled Freedom from human regulations through your life with Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen.
1: Folks, if you just keep that open, why don't we ask God to help us to understand and take his word to ourselves. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we, we come, um, we're all in a different place. We're all in a different heart as we come this morning. But we all share another thing in common. We need to meet with you uh, we need to hear your voice. We need you to speak to us. So we're, Lord, we're here, and we're gonna try to, to listen to, to your word, to have it before us. Uh, and we pray that your spirit would be active, uh, that the same spirit who inspired Paul would give us new insights into what your will for us is. Not, not in Colossae, 2,000 years ago, but in East Belfast today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Matrix, the film, hands up who saw it back then or has seen it since. Okay, enough people to, um, 20 years old now, but still influential it turns out. I I read an article, a brand new article about it in The Guardian a few weeks ago. Uh, People still reflecting on uh, the movie and saying that it, it's influential in the culture and in, in filmmaking in general. So the premise of the film, for those who haven't seen it, is that the earth's been taken over by a, a massive computer system uh, called the Matrix. And I suppose along with that comes the unsettling implication that the reality that we're living might not be as real as it seems, and that we, we may not be as free as we imagine. A group of humans, they've managed to free themselves from the the powerful grasp of the Matrix. Uh, Led by Morpheus, they're seeking the one, a man who's going to set the human race free from the Matrix. When Morpheus eventually tracks down Neo, the man he thinks is the one, he explains the powers of the Matrix to him. It's all around us, even now in this very room. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church. Are you feeling it? When you pay your taxes. It's the world that's been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth, asks Neil, that you're a slave? Neil. So the film then goes on to tell the story of the, the war that this small band of humans wages against the impersonal powers of the, the matrix. This morning we are coming to, in the passage that Colin read for us a moment ago, we're coming right to the center of this book of Colossians, and we're going to see how it is that Paul's going to show them, the, the Christians in Colossae, how they can bust out of the matrix. In a way, everything that we've said so far in this series has been introductory. Now, I didn't tell you that, all right? I didn't know if you'd be that excited to know that you were having a four part introduction, four sermons to introduce us to the ideas. But there it is. Um, thank you, though, to those who, who have said that you've been encouraged already in those four sermons. But now, in this passage, he goes right to the heart of some of the stuff that we have been uh, alluding to. Let's let's remind ourselves very quickly of, of where he's taken us so far. First thing Paul did was he thanked God for the Colossians, that they're already enough in Christ. He prayed for them, that they would know more of God's good will for them. Then he he sung this beautiful song or poem saying that there's no one like Jesus and nothing like his church, just focusing our attention on Jesus. And then last week, we looked at this fourth movement where Paul takes a moment to talk about his work and his desire to see Christ formed in them. That's what we've thought about so far. All introductory until you come to chapter 2, verse 6, where he really comes on topic and he starts to really deal with this, this reason that he's writing this letter at all, that he's writing to these Colossians, he wants to assure these guys that if they're in Christ, they are enough. They don't need to live in or return to life in the matrix. We've talked about this before, the pressures on them, we keep just pointing them out quickly. Today we we'll take a bit more time with them. They're facing pressure to return to a pagan culture, the the pagan culture that they've been converted from. And Paul says, no way, do not go back there. Jesus is bigger than any of the big ideas in your pagan culture. But they're also facing pressures from within the church from Jewish Christians who want them to live in a different matrix to sign up to the Jewish religious traditions that, that were never intended for them. Don't go there. Paul says, Jesus is bigger than any religion. So that gives us, I think, very quickly an outline of how we're going to look at today's passage. Paul shows us that Jesus is bigger than our culture's biggest ideas, that he's bigger than any religion, that he's rescued us from the matrix, and finally we're going to finish with Paul's challenge to keep on keeping on with Jesus. So verse 8, Paul warns the believers about, against living captive to the big ideas of their culture, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on the human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. It seems there was stuff going on in the culture sidetracking these guys from following Jesus it's every bit as likely to be happening today, possibly more so. We have more than ever our share of of hollow and deceptive philosophies. Despite what we might think, I was trying to think, well, what what are some of these philosophies? I grew up in the Thatcher era. Uh, You know, we, we look back on those days and imagine that we've moved on. Greed is good was one of the slogans of the Thatcher era. Have we really moved on? I'm not sure. In 2019, we're still conditioned to crave success uh, as a way of life, especially if it brings wealth, and sometimes we don't settle for uh, success and wealth. We need to experience luxury. Think of how life's marketed to us these days. Celebrity is very important to us. We worship at the shrine of celebrity. Celebrity. And I think something that's really blown up in the last 10 years is our obsession with our appearance. In an Instagram era, cosmetic beauties become a god that we're willing to, to sacrifice an awful lot for. We pay a lot of money to look good. Folks, a lot of this is very subtle. Paul talks about it being a deceptive way of life. It depends on basic on on human traditions and the basic principles of the world. A lot of the things that distract us from Jesus Christ seem entirely acceptable. They're like the air that we breathe. They seem so much part and parcel of the world that we live in that we might call them conventional. Anyone who doesn't accept these things is weird. They're unconventional. Folks, let's not be in the dark about this. Whenever our greatest aspiration is to live entirely in step with the respectable, the middle class, the, the culture around us, then we're living lives dependent on human traditions, the basic principles of the world. No matter how, how respectable those might appear to be, they're not the ways of Jesus Christ. They are anti-Christ Any lifestyle that's hollow, that has a deceptive worldview behind it is blinding us to the reality. We're living in a matrix. It's distracting us from fullness of life with Jesus Christ. This kind of things, one of the reasons I love Marilyn Robinson, the, the author. Despite her gentle appearance, she has this amazing punk attitude that I really love. Talking at Regent College, the place where I studied a few years ago, she said in, a, in the middle of a, a lecture, she was giving just this phrase or this sentence, I know what the conventions are. I don't believe them. Boom. Busting out of the matrix. I know what I'm supposed to believe. I don't believe it. Get that phrase into your head and start to, start to ask yourself the question. Are you ready to step out? Ready to live real life? Verses 9 to 10, Paul explains why it's stupid for people who have trusted in Jesus Christ to allow themselves to be held captive by any other way of life. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives, in human form and you have been given the fullness of Christ he's the head over everybody and authority everything in the world belongs to Jesus Christ he is over all of it he's in charge of this world everything that goes on in it so why on earth would a person who has who, who has Jesus who has the spirit of Jesus in them walk around enslaved why would we do that Why would a Christian person continue to be enslaved by selfish materialism, middle class respectability, or any of the other hollow ways of life on offer in our culture? See what he's doing? Paul's busting us out of the matrix. He wants us to see that Jesus is bigger than our culture's biggest ideas. Second thing Paul wants us to do is to see that Jesus is bigger than any religion. If if he's been busting them out of the 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 sort of culture in verses eight to ten, I think he moves to religion in verses eleven to twelve, and he does that by talking about circumcision and baptism. You maybe wonder what, what that's all doing there or or what it means. Let me try and explain. These believers in Colossae, we've said it before, they're they're from a non Jewish background. And that makes them easy prey, easy pickings for a sort of particular type of, of Jewish legalism. So there were, there were false teachers uh, in the Christian churches of Paul's times, and they were claiming that when a Gentile person came to Jesus Christ, that wasn't enough. If you really wanted to, to worship the true and the living God, then you had to take on the trappings of Jewish faith things like circumcision, particular Jewish festivals. This is the only proper way to worship God. And notice then what Paul says, it's genius. He says to the Colossian Christians who have never been physically circumcised, they, they haven't had this Jewish sign of entry into the people of God. That's what circumcision means, by the way. It's a, a rite of passage. You've now become a person, a member of the community of God. These, these Gentile Christians don't have that, but Paul says you've been baptized. That's the Christian sign of entry into the people of God. The, the Jewish sign was all about putting off a small piece of flesh. The Christian sign is about putting off everything. Your whole life before Jesus, put it to death. Let's kill it and let's raise you up to a new way of life. So Paul says, don't worry about Jewish circumcision because you've already been baptized, something much, much greater. All of this is true, says Paul, for those who have faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Do you see now why it would be crazy for, for these Gentile Christians to go and look to the Jewish law, to circumcision or to the festivals or, or the food laws? There's nothing there for them. All of that was only a picture of which Jesus is the far greater reality. If you're in Christ, there's nothing back there for you. Everything else is trivial by comparison with Jesus. Folks, I think it's a bit harder for us to get our heads around this part of what Paul's talking about. It's hard, but let's think about it for a moment. It's strange to think of religion getting in the way of life with God, isn't it? But that's what Paul's talking about here. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, Jesus is all that we'll ever need. We don't live in anything like the culture that those first Christians in Colossae did. But even today, it's worth just being a little bit careful about the kinds of things that we hear in in churches that, that we're not quite there if we don't have X, Y, or Z. X might be a particular charismatic experience, it might be a particular style of worship. It might be some other uh, new idea. Whenever you hear of things in in the church that that you don't feel that you've experienced, I think a good question to ask yourself, is this gonna help me to grow in Jesus? Is this gonna increase my commitment to him? Uh, We'll have a chance to think more about this kind of stuff next week, I think. So Paul's been showing the Christians in Colossae how Jesus busts them out of the cultural matrix, how it busts them out of the, the religious matrix. And in verses 14 to 15, he shows how Jesus did it. Talks about the cross of Jesus Christ. First of all, he talks about how the cross cancels the law, that religious legalism question. The Jewish law, you see, stood before God's people always as a reminder of how they were failing, how how they were sinful, how they were not good enough for a holy God. It reminded them that they were guilty and that they lived under a death penalty. The amazing news of the gospel is that when Jesus came, he took my penalty on himself. Yes, I was under God's wrath. And judgment. But he took it, so I don't have to. He died the death that I deserve, so I'm just not going to do that. That's not going to happen to me. In Jesus' death, every demand of the law was met. Everything that the law held against us, cancelled. Big line through it, null and void. I'm free. God doesn't hold a thing against me. What about that? What about that? Lots of us have grown up in evangelical churches and maybe know this part of the story how Jesus' death on the cross breaks the power of sin. I think we're a bit less familiar with what he goes on to say in verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Something else happened on the cross. The way Paul talks about it here, he's actually describing a cultural practice of his time that we might not initially twig on to. If I was a a Roman general and I'd uh, I'd won some great victory over a hated enemy, there's a way you did that. In a world without TVs and newspapers, what you did was you dragged all, all the captives, all the people you'd defeated, you dragged them back with you to Rome and you made them march down one of the major thoroughfares in Rome. All, all, all the booty that you'd captured, all the prisoners, and if possible, you stick the, the king or the leader of your defeated enemy at the back as a sort of a crescendo, an, an ultimate culmination. It was a way of showing your triumph and humiliating your enemy. I think there was a bit of that going on when, when Israel, the Jewish leaders, and the Roman authorities got together and crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. The, the most developed religion the world had ever seen and the world's greatest military might combine together uh, and they humiliate Jesus Christ. They strip him naked. They hold him up to public contempt and they celebrate their victory over him. Have a look at what Paul says about it, verse 15. He says, On the cross, God was disarming the powers and authorities. God made a public spectacle of them. God was celebrating his triumph over them. Well, how? How does the cross of Jesus Christ, like it looks for all the world, like weakness and defeat, but Paul says, no. This is the victory of God. How? Well, I think at least in part how it works is this. Whenever you, cel- whenever you murder the one perfect person who's ever lived. Whenever you mock and beat and bully to death, the one most loving person the world has ever seen, you show yourself for who you are. You show yourself to be selfish, to be paranoid, to be full of idolatry, and to be against everything that is good in the world. So a person looking that day or today at the cross of Jesus Christ is entitled to ask a question. If this is where Rome's big ideas take us, who wants to live like that? If this is where Israel's religious legalism takes us, why on earth would I want to go with them? But look at him. Look at him. One who loves me and gives his life for me. There's one I could follow. There's one I could call king. Folks, we've been allowing the the matrix here to just spark off some thinking for us today, a kind of a contemporary parable. At the end of the movie, there's a, a fascinating scene. By that stage, Neo has been confirmed. He is the one. He's the man who's going to set the human race free. And he's had a first success in his, his battle against the all-pervasive power of the Matrix. He's in a phone box at the end of the movie. And he dials into the Matrix with a message. I'm just thinking, that dates the movie, doesn't it? Does, any, does anybody know what a phone box is? They used to be all up and down the, the road. and Yeah. This is, this is what he says when he dials into the matrix. I know you're right there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us and you're afraid of change. I'm going to hang up this phone and I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders and boundaries, a world where anything is possible. Neil's phone calling to the matrix sounds an awful lot like Paul in Colossians 2. He's telling us about the one, the one who's come to bust us out of the matrix. On the cross, Jesus Christ defeated the powers and he reconciled them to God. We don't need to be subject to any power Any longer. Not a political power, not a religious power, not racism, not materialism, not any other ism. We, brothers and sisters, are free. Nothing in the world has power over us. So, on the cross, Jesus shows us he's bigger than the culture's biggest ideas, he shows us that he's bigger than the biggest religion. That being the case, says Paul, why would we ever stop following Jesus? Right at the start of our passage, verse 7, verses 6 and 7, Paul says then, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. He touches on a couple of his Colossians themes here. I'm just going to point them out to you as we draw to a close. First of all, he wants them to grow to maturity in Jesus. Verse 7, he says, being rooted and built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Guys, you've got to be rooted in Jesus. Don't stand on anything else. Don't draw your life from anything else, rooted in him. Substructure, the bit of your life that you can't see, that nobody can see, it's got to be Jesus. He says, rooted in him and built up in him. The tree will only be as healthy as the roots. The building will only be as strong as its foundations. So folks, Jesus Christ as our, our roots and our foundation, Jesus Christ as our superstructure, every part of me that grows visibly in this world to be nourished by and full of Jesus Christ. That's how we were taught, Paul says. That's how we must continue. His second Colossians theme crops up again into verse 7. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Paul can't imagine a community of people following Jesus who aren't overflowing with thanksgiving. (laughs) How could it be? How could you have the life of God in you and for it to... you know, goodness, we, we're too small to capture the life of God. It's going to overflow, isn't it? Overflowing in thanksgiving. Whenever we're praising God like that, we're like a, a river bursting its banks, like a, a cup that just can't hold the wine that's in it. Folks, when, when, when that's us, when that's our church, then the life of God just flows. These verses, 6 and 7, they're brilliant verses. I think they're probably a great memory verse to learn. If you want to learn verses that give us Colossians in a nutshell, these are probably the two to go for. This is what Paul wants. One last question from the Matrix. Red pill or blue? Whenever Morpheus approaches Neo... He offers him a choice. The blue pill, that's the pill that allows you to continue life as you've always lived it. Life in the culture, life with all those conventions, life in the matrix. Or the red pill, busting out into real life and full freedom, no matter how terrifying. That might be. It's terrifying to live a free life. That's why we don't do it. Terrifying. You have to trust God to live the free life. That's why we don't want to do it. Folks, what's it going to be? Red, pillar, blue. If you're in Christ, you've already been offered and taken the red pill. You've found the one. The victory over the cross has set you free from every power over you. You're free. Not going to go back, are you? Not going to be reaching for a blue pill. Surely not, says Paul. So then, just as we've received Christ Jesus as Lord, let's continue in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness.
0: Let's pray.